Hi. Hi. It's been so long since I've seen you. This is probably feels like the case. You can hear me, right? I can hear you. Can you hear okay, me? Okay, good. Yeah. As my mic kind of creeps in. Hello. I know, right? Wait, where's mine? Here it is. Hello. Hello. Uh, oh, that was sexy. Hmm. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday morning, December the 8th. <laughs> so sexy, hero. Am I really oh. sexy? You're, um, you, you look really good in your shot right now. I feel like I look kind of grainy, but the lighting's not very good. Well, I don't know, but thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, you can see the reflection in my glasses. I'm wearing glasses today because I woke, okay, I don't have like pink eye or anything, guys. I don't even have kids. I don't like, but I woke up with like, um, a bit of uh, like a bloodshot eyes. I'm like, you know what? It's very dry up here though. And I think I just need a break for my contact lenses. So hence I'm wearing my glasses today. Uh, right. Yes. And then as you can see behind me and I'm sitting here a lot of the time now because I've got, well, you can't even see it, but my menorah is behind me. My Han- Hanukkah, ha- Hanukkah menorah, my mensch on the bench. And then my three packages of Hanukkah candles. <laughs> Oh, I don't, if you haven't been following us on Instagram, follow us now (laughs) at getting underscore juicy. I hope you know how to spell juicy by now with like a Jew. And the reason I say that is because I spent quite a while trying to find Hanukkah candles, menorah candles in the humble area. I live in the Okanagan in British Columbia, which uh, I live in Vernon, but Kelowna is pretty close, which is the bigger city. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, I looked everywhere, everywhere, like all the big box stores you would think of. And then I even like reached out to some candle stores and blah, blah, blah. Um, so then, then what I did is I reached out to a Jewish community in Kelowna. Um, and I was like, they've got to have Hanukkah candles. And I'm such a bad Jew because it's the first time I've ever had a menorah. And since I lived in with my parents many, many, many years ago, but I'm like, okay, you know what? No, I'm getting a menorah this year. And I thought getting candles would be easy. So anyway, I reached out to the Jewish community. The rabbi got back to me literally about two hours after I ended up going to the last place that I, I thought of to find candles, a very humble little um, natural food store up here called Nature's Fair. I bought up two packages because I'm like, well, I'm never going to find these next year. <laughs> and then the rabbi was so sweet. His wife got back to me and said, we do have Hanukkah candles and I'm going to drop some off at your house anyway. <laughs> so now I have like more Hanukkah candles that I know what to do with. Amazing. Also Hero, which was kind of funny is um, when I wrote them that story and then I said, oh, by the way, we have a podcast. It's called Getting Juicy. And, and I just said, I don't know if this is bad to say to a rabbi. Okay, everyone out there. But I said on my email, I was like, I'm a bad Jew. Like I'm kind of Jew, Jew-ish. I kind of put it like, and I, you know, we have this podcast and uh, we kind of like, I don't know if it's not well, if we make fun of being Jewish, but then he never wrote me back. <laughs> I didn't say anything bad. I just said, you didn't like, say anything bad at all. No, not I at all. We have this podcast, like, and the reason why we call it getting juicy is just because we have that commonality of yeah. ish, but we're both kind of trying to get back to maybe our roots. And I'm like, check mm-hmm. it out. And that was a few days ago. I never heard back. So I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I hope there was no offense taken. And if, you know, he saw our podcast is like, uh, no. 
<laughs> that's so funny but do you i mean again it doesn't really matter but do you know what kind of um like what it what it, what it, was it a synagogue that reached out that came to you it was a it's a it's a community center i guess oh oh, oh okay um synagogue but they must be associated because honestly there's one synagogue in the okanagan up here so yeah anyway i just thought that was kind of funny and honestly i i yeah it's probably they just didn't have time to respond but i just thought mm-hmm. i hope it didn't offend you well i wasn't sure if maybe they were like orthodox and they were super it doesn't no no that's not the case okay um as far as i can tell from their website but oh yes and as i'm talking about our jewish story our guest is coming on any second but we can introduce her as here yes first time Hey. Hi. How are you guys? Good. It's so Good. nice to see both of you. Oh my God. I know it's been forever since the three of us have been in the same menage a trois. And- <laughs> but, um, okay. <laughs> so we have our incredible guest, Caroline McGillivray. She is a dear friend of ours. Uh, we're also recording already right now. So we are so happy to have Caroline with us on the show. As I just mentioned, she is a very dear friend of ours from different walks of our life. She is also a part of the yoga and fitness community and also part of the nonprofit community uh, through the Beauty Night Society. And she has made a very incredible contribution to her name and the community of Vancouver and the Lower Mainland abroad for supporting women that are in need of many services through mental and emotional health and lifestyle. Yeah, I'm so I'm just so excited to see you, Caroline, because it's been <laughs> forever feels like a lifetime honestly it really does it really does feels <laughs> like a lifetime <laughs> there I don't know what you're doing um <laughs> yeah no it's been I think I mean just this past year has just felt like a whole lifetime anyway but you know previous to that so Caroline um her and I met through yoga and then okay correct me if I'm wrong again I feel like this has been a lifetime ago but did you teach a few classes? You taught a few classes at the studio, correct? Yes, she did. I did. Yeah, but then we realized that it was you were you had lived so far away from the studio that it was difficult to commute, I think, right? I think it was partly that. And it was just the Sunday mornings where there was the one class that um, sometimes would fill and it was great. And it was in the early days. So it was, um, and then there was other times where nobody would show up for class. Um so it would be, um, yeah, just, um, which I got to practice on my own, which was lovely, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it was great. And it was such a gorgeous space too. Oh, and, oh so yeah, gorgeous. I love it. <laughs> Caroline, cause we have yet to actually talk about the studio and, and all the episodes you've done so far. We've kind of mentioned it and we should, we'll dedicate an episode to, you know, I think what it's like to have been an entrepreneur, a small business owner and go through all that process, but We'll save that for another time. But um, how are you doing? I'm doing all, all things considering. I'm doing okay considering it's a crazy pandemic and everything else. But yeah, things are good. How about you? You too. We're doing <laughs> what we can. What we can do during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So exactly. Just kind of. Um, I feel like this. You know, this pandemic's really kind of. 
I don't know if forced is the right word, but maybe forced is the right word to look at yourself, you know, find that reflection and then reinvent yourself if that's the time for you to do it. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'll speak for myself, but I feel like maybe heroes in the same boat that we both maybe have kind of reinvented ourselves, you know, left old jobs, got new jobs, created this podcast, um, some other creative things. And I almost feel like, I mean, with yourself, because I know you've been teaching in class, you know, yoga, Qigong is another huge thing that you've been doing, which I adore. And we'll have to talk more about Qigong because I think some people still don't maybe know what it is. Um, and then your beauty night, which I mean, please explain to people what beauty night is. It's been around for, I want to say, has it been 20 years? It's uh, next Wednesday. It will be 20 years. If next Wednesday is the 15th. Incredible. Cause you still look like you're 20. So, I mean, to start that from when you're out of the womb, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> I was going to say, it's probably my ring light, but who's, who's counting? <laughs> Lighting, my friend, is everything. So. I bet. And great genes, which we all have. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, Beauty Night um, is uh, an initiative I started where what we do is um, provide programming to build self-esteem and change lives for women and youth living in poverty. And so what that looks like is four nights a week before the pandemic, my volunteers would go down to different shelters, mainly in the Lower East Side in Vancouver, and offer things like haircuts, um, foot care for some of the people who'd come in with what we call street feet, because sometimes they're wearing the same pair of shoes and their feet are soaked and they start to get fungus because um, their feet are wet. Vancouver tends to be very wet in general. Um doing what we call manicures, where we sometimes, in addition to estheticians and regular volunteers, uh, have nursing students where they're checking the actual quality of the nail, which sometimes can show other things about um, about different health things that people should look at. Um, I'm more well-versed for feet than I am for, for um, fingernails, but just stuff like, say, um, if you're touching your toes, or somebody's toes and they're cold versus the, say, the rest of the feet. Uh, sometimes if somebody's more at risk of diabetes too, sometimes it's good to ask certain questions just to see what's going on. Or sometimes, say, the toes are a different color. Um, I keep joking about it because between ballet and yoga, I swear to God, I've got, like, the most calloused feet. Mm. And the first time I went and got a pedicure personally, my students bought me one years ago. It was horrifying because I took all my calluses off. And I went to go teach that night. And one of them was um, a jazz class. And that was horrible because oh, no. I realized how much I relied on my calluses to turn. So <laughs> So it was uh, really neat. But um, aside from calluses, uh, just the color of the toes and things like that, sometimes if uh, the it's a little bit of a different color, it can have to do with circulation where it's so important to be able to um, just recognize that. Um, in addition to that, a lot of wellness pieces. So we used to have acupuncturists come out and do group acupuncture for the women. So you might have like say seven or eight people where they're just um, they'd roll up their sleeves roll up their pants um, have um, using the needles just in hands feet elbows knees um, my favorite point is right here which is your yin tang point which um, my person my tcm always calls the ah 
acupuncture point because it helps just release stress. And if you're ever really stressed out, one of my favorite things to do in a yoga class, if it's a yin practice or going into restorative, just in the breathing at the beginning is sometimes getting people just to use a knuckle Mm -hmm. and just massaging that point and just breathing in there because that point is just really powerful so as we know from chakras (laughs) really good for our intuition and great for our gratitude but um as well as that in chinese medicine as well it also helps flow and i think i just made my face go red from touching there (laughs) 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 but um that's what we thank you yeah no that's a i mean it's well and that's a huge i think tidbit of uh, a tool that people can use. Oh my, I think I've got an indent now in my head. From- I do too. I saw mine. <laughs> Why am I exempt from that? I should have a huge dent in my face, like a crater. Because you're younger, my beautiful friend. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I'm like 20 years older than both of you. So it's. Oh no, you're, we actually, you know what's, sorry. We figured this out at one point. We did, and <laughs> it I- was like, yeah. <laughs> it's actually like 10, 10, 10. It's like. Yes. Between here, <laughs> between Caroline and myself is 10. I think 10. something like that. I wasn't sure if you wanted me to say it. So I was just like, okay, I won't I don't say mind. it. Well, no, I'm turning, I'm, I mean, I'm turning what? I'm turning 29 in two months. And then Rachel is one day before me for birthday. So you're oh. turning, you, and she's, Rachel has talked about her age on other episodes. So it's not a secret. So you're turning 38 uh, on the 30th of 31st of January. 31st. And, then, and then Caroline, I don't know actually what your birthday I is. Just turned, uh, I just turned 49 um, on November 22nd, so what? very recently. Yeah, I'll be 50 next year, next uh, November, next year this time. I will be 50 years old, which is kind of crazy. What the actual fuck? <laughs> oh, my I God. I swear it's because I'm Eurasian, so, which is so funny because I hear everybody talk about sometimes if you're a mix where it's like they use the word HAPA which oh, is yeah. the Hawaiian term for that, which I'm like, that's great, but I'm not, I'm, you know, out of respect to my friends that are half Hawaiian. I am not Hawaiian, uh, even though I like to think that I could pass for it when I have a tan in the summer. Oh, yeah. But right. um, I'm half Chinese, half Scottish. So, yeah, like this old cheesy Corey Hart song from like the 80s, um, Eurasian eyes. So, <laughs> <laughs> as I bring the crazy eyes with that. Too. I love it. And I didn't realize. <laughs> I actually didn't realize your hat that was your oh. your genetic makeup for some for some reason and not the stereotype. I thought you were of indigenous background. That makes sense. And if it makes you feel better, once I accepted um, a keynote speak uh, a speech for to present it for the um, at the time it was I think it was called the Aboriginal Women's Leadership Convention. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think, I just thought it was because of beauty night, which it was why they had asked me to speak. And it wasn't until I was actually up there and during the Q&A it came up that I um, I was not in indigenous. I uh, had um, done a little bit of work on the reserves through beauty night, but um, I had never. So all of a sudden I just saw the organizer's face and I was just like, well, I wasn't going to keep it a secret. I just never thought it was an issue before. So I felt really, really bad. That was probably back in 2002 and things, which of course in this day and age, you know, I'd probably be crucified for taking opportunity from somebody. But in all honesty, I didn't know I was, you know, just, and I think in that because of how I look, 
because I can pass. I honestly think it was an honest mistake on both ends. And yeah, um, I was just very naive. So yeah, so interesting. <laughs> Put oh it this way. I used to, um, when I started beauty night, people used to joke that, yeah, you know, it was like, Oh my gosh, you're like Elle Woods from legally blonde or clueless. Like, yes. you know, sure. and like, Oh my gosh. Totally. Right. Like, I, Oh my God, girl, you have no idea. Like stop. <laughs> like totally like for sure. Like, Oh my gosh. Like, are you serious? I am it's- so serious. My gum is not even being chewed right now. <laughs> oh Lord. Well guys, I'm, I'm actually like from the Valley, like Lynn Valley. So I don't know if that counts as like <laughs> girl, but uh, I, I want to bring it back to, we totally got off tangent there, but, that, <laughs> but that we do. Um, <laughs> I want to know, because what's very important is how are you keeping Beauty Night going through the pandemic and how at hand and how can people help? Um, Well, first and foremost, it's been tough because we haven't been able to do in-person programming. And that's been one of the biggest challenges. And to be honest, it's not because we haven't wanted to at different stages, um, but Uh, the organizations that we partner with because we go to their spaces and offer the programming because of safety and concern and just um, safety planning are not comfortable having outside volunteers and a lot of them aren't even allowing regular volunteers that they have for their own programming in so that's been a no Um, I was heartbroken because in the last lockdown I thought we were going to be able to start up again um, for a couple uh, spaces through Vancouver Coastal Health, so a couple of recovery centers um, that I work with. And that was, you know, it's like getting kicked in the belly again. Um, but we have transitioned online. It's uh, been a slow build, so sometimes it feels like we're starting all over again. And it's been tough because, like, we're offering the wellness. The wellness has been great because we've been able to do more of that. Um, the life skills development, the makeovers have been more like beauty treatments, uh, using platform like zoom and for certain organizations we partnered with, uh, we've been able to do things like say make, uh, one of my favorite recipes is a sugar scrub. It's one of the best exfoliants where you just use brown sugar, a little bit of vanilla. I sound like I'm baking and uh, a little bit of coconut oil. And it's one of the best scrubs. I actually, I'll probably be annoyed. Well, actually, no, he brag about it my my boyfriend last night I actually gave him a, a massage treatment doing that where you use the hot compresses you do that too and so teaching the women how to make that kind of stuff themselves because other than the vanilla because the simple one would be just either using salt or sugar and olive oil in a pinch because most of those those things are available um not always but a lot of times through um the food bank um because they're basic staples Uh, Those are things that people do have access to. So a lot of times when we're teaching the recipe, it'll be this is the simple version. If you've got these additional things like things like vanilla, etc., you can add to it brown sugar because it just smells sweeter. It's just got more of a scent and it's quite lovely. So we'll do things like that. So we've been trying to manage all of the um, tech challenges too, where we've had people where it's worked great if say it's with our friends at Union Gospel Uh, where they're actually all in one space and able to do it there because the women are living there. 
but when they've opened it up to the community where you'll get somebody calling from Maine and Hastings, I'm trying to get onto the Zoom thing. And that was before I knew about breakout rooms where we could actually <laughs> move all the people who were in the workshop and just continue on where my tech skills have gotten better. Um, so it's been um, it's been great in that sense. We've already got a few of the women who have actually helped co-host because we've been doing self-care Sundays, which I hate that name because I think <laughs> self-care just has such a dirty reputation. Um, and Wellness Wednesdays where we've been doing different workshops, having different yoga teachers, um, doing beauty things. I've done Qigong, of course, a lot of journaling prompts. So even if it's, say, a breath practice or a gentle yoga and with yoga, it's been challenging. Uh, one of our women who comes to all of them, uh, she's going through a lot of uh, shifts and changes. She's transitioning right now from male to female. Uh, so she's on all the hormone replacement therapy, but um, has also dealt with some spinal cord challenges over the last 12 years. So um, I just had another stroke in September. So even things like um, with yoga, where a lot of times I always I always teach it like chair yoga, which I won't lie is easier for lighting, but uh, <laughs> but it's um, it's great because then some of the women who with different challenges, and I know because I know certain women like just in terms of who's watching, like who's actually in terms of mobility, but there's been other things like where uh, that particular woman, she came on one day. When I had uh, Cynthia Scabar, who owned Future Hair School, which um, she's been a hair educator for like well over 20 years. Yeah. And she was on and she was teaching how to braid. And one of the questions that came up was, how do you braid with one hand? And is that even possible? And at the mm -hmm. time, I, I didn't understand the question because I didn't know that this, this woman, because we hadn't caught up yet, had lost mobility in, in her right hand. And she's right-handed. Uh, so after the after the thing, I had to see if we could find some more videos just uh, for how to do that. And then some of the other questions that came up with that were things that may not have come up in a regular beauty night, like things like with uh, hormone replacement therapy, how does that affect your skin? How does that affect uh, your hair and your nails? Those types of things. And Cynthia was able to answer some of that stuff where I didn't have the knowledge because um, it was beyond my scope of practice um, for some of those questions. So that was really helpful. Plus, it's been interesting because I've been doing this for 20 years. Some of the women that I've known forever, uh, some of them are going through uh, perimenopause, menopause as well. Mm -hmm. And for some of our, um, our trans women, they are at different stages. So some ident and as long as somebody, if they say they identify as a man or woman, like whatever they choose, um, or however, you know, whichever pronouns they choose, we've always been honor somebody however they want to be honored um, in terms of that and see them as, as such. But um, yeah. with that, each of them are at different stages where there's no one blanket thing saying just because somebody is transitioning from M to F that, that, that they're going to be there because there's different doses of hormones. Uh, for some people, like I know um, being a biological female, um, a cis female, it's been crazy where there's sometimes where, you know, just my hormones kind of go all over the place. And um, I won't go into a lot of details about perimenopause other than I will strongly recommend uh, talk to people about it. It's kind of a, like a dark, dirty secret that nobody talks about. Um, and 
Thank you for bringing that up because it's something actually my girlfriend and I were talking about yesterday. And yes, I, yes, I'm younger than you, but I'm starting both of us at, at this age are starting to notice different hormonal things that are happening, um, surrounding our, our menstrual cycles that never happened five years ago. So, I mean, it's, and it's a constant, I mean, just what you've been saying, there's just so much change in so many people's lives for so many different reasons. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you've done a really good job at trying to manage all of that. And not only that, but, um, I guess, uh, you know, use the resources that you have and, 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 and reinvent your business. I mean, that's, I can't imagine after that many years, like how that feels. And there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that don't necessarily have the skills or they don't have the patience to do that. And their businesses haven't survived. And I'm really happy to hear that, you know, beauty nights been able to continue and, then there's just different ways of doing it now. And what I just want to ask, cause you mentioned a few times about um, some of the people you've known for many years. Now, are you talking about um, volunteers? Or are you talking about those that actually need the assistance? That's who you're both. Okay. Both. Okay. That's, I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. For some of it's been fascinating as well, because some of the resources we've been putting out because it's online. Um, I've had people I've known who volunteered for me for years who have been participating um, as a participant where they would have never felt comfortable. Um, they would always want to do it in a volunteer capacity, but some of it, um, like one of my, one of my really dear friends, uh, found out very recently that, uh, she's been, you know, fighting her, her ex-husband in court, uh, because of really extreme domestic violence. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I think about just the stats about, the fact that domestic violence overdoses are increasing because of just the sheer volume of stress, isolation, being stuck with certain people, sometimes in your household where you're, because of financial reasons or because of fear where it's a really scary time to go, okay, I'm going to go to a shelter right now, mm-hmm. even if it is a life or death thing because there's that, that fear of COVID, um, which is a very legitimate fear. And at least at home, you know, you're not going to come down with that, um, even though some of the other things might be really frightening. Mm -hmm. And what I found by transitioning some of the stuff online is we've been able to, uh, because once we know about things, we can either A, just be there to listen, which is what sometimes people really need. They don't necessarily want to be fixed. They just want to be heard. And so being able to hold that space first and foremost Uh, Second, if they are at a stage where it is dangerous, seeing if we can encourage because, of course, people are adults. Um, It's interesting because the rules versus, like, say, suicide are very a little bit different within domestic violence with that. But, uh, you know, where you you do have to report if somebody where they might harm themselves, that kind of stuff. But with domestic violence, we're strongly encouraging them to uh, work with some of our sister organizations like Battered Women Support Services. WAVA's got some great things too. Um, if needed for transition home, uh, YWCA is pretty terrific um, as well. And I have had people as well where um, I've had to reach out to a community as well just because we do work with youth 
And here you'd still be considered a youth because sometimes the ministry considers up to 30 is still youth. Um, but with that, and it's just like if somebody's in an unsafe space and they need to be, you know, find a, a safe space to be, sometimes just the regular shelters just aren't mm -hmm. a fit for somebody. Um, and some are really judgy still. Uh, I won't go into details about which ones where if somebody says isn't a biological female, they won't let them stay there. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, Vancouver Rape Relief has very strong views about things. They've actually had their views going all the way back and forth, all the way up to Supreme Court, where they won't even allow uh, trans volunteers. And so that part was really challenging, where they had somebody who was uh, post-operational, uh, where they, and this is back in, I think, 2000 or 2001, who they found out after the training that uh, had not grown up as a biological female. And with that, uh, told them they couldn't volunteer. And then Barbara Finley, who's a Queen's Council mem uh, lawyer, actually, um, I believe, did the case pro bono. And it went all the way up to Supreme Court, went back and forth. Um, and still with that particular organization, uh, they did lose funding from the city, which again, um, I, it makes me sad that there's less beds available for people in regards to that. Mm -hmm. But I also find it's, it, it's challenging because depending on belief system, because there's also where they wouldn't uh, support uh, women who were not born biological women, if that makes sense. Um, it does make sense for sure. Well, it does. And, Obviously, <laughs> yeah, I can understand both sides, though. But I, but I disagree completely with the fact that they take that away. And we just had, you know, like Janine Burley on our show about a few weeks mm -hmm. ago, and we were talking mm -hmm. about hormones and how that it doesn't really make a difference of your cisgen your cisgenderism because you can go through hormones and or get organ um, reassignment and still have a lot of the same experiences biologically, even if you didn't start out having them that way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of, well, and we, one of here and my good friends is uh, transitioned from male to female. And I've, all the stories that I even heard from her about hormone replacement therapy, my goodness. I mean, some, some of the things felt even more extreme than some of the hormonal changes that I've felt in my life. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I completely now, yeah. No, I'm just sorry. I'm just I'm just baffled. And I okay. So that was maybe like 20 years ago, ish, right? So do you feel or have things changed at all now? With In respect to how people perceive or how people treat trans the trans community in what you do, even. I think there's still a lot of judgment. Uh, there wouldn't be so many voices screaming to be heard right now if. The work was being done but that said it's funny because we we're just talking about for beauty night uh creating a run for resilience for uh, international women's day and uh, one of my volunteers on the steering committee was talking about we should come up with a cool name kind of like you know the underwear affair was a 10k run for you know cancers below the waist and everybody wore their underwear to run um which all i can imagine is all that chafing that would be so painful <laughs> but uh but with that um, one of the things I thought about, whereas I pointed out to her, we could pick another run at a different time of year, but because International Women's Day, there's some people who are very proud on that day, but there's still a lot of anger because women are still making less money in general than men. 
for most, not everything, but a lot of professions. Um, and because of just uh, gender-based violence towards women. And then you look at our trans community where there's even more violence there, and especially with Indigenous trans. Mm. Um, so I think we've still got a long way to go. I think the other challenge too is there's a lot of trauma attached to. And with that, so people are raising their voices, but there's not... And maybe it's just me because maybe I don't know. So anybody who's listening can always correct me with this. But I just feel that um, there needs to be more to address the trauma. But I also see that in so many other other sectors of this world too, both in the um, both in the addiction realm, uh, eating disorder realm, which is we know from doing all the work we do as as yogis and holding space for people. There's a lot of that stuff because the bottom line is you've got to deal with the root problem Mm -hmm. which is usually not the addiction itself um, or the eating disorder that's just a a symptom of it so you got to get right to the root and with everything else it's like we've got to get to the root of things we've got to look at where in somebody's identity where is that trauma and each person is so unique and it's just like what tools do they need to heal and it may not be our journey to heal them that's probably the hardest part and they may not be ready to heal. It may not be their, you know, their path for this lifetime. It may be to experience what this is like and dealing and living with that trauma, which just kills me sometimes. Um, I'll be honest, I'm really glad I'm not a parent. I think I'd uh, be one of those overbearing, overprotective parents that would just want to <laughs> make sure that my kid's not, you know, going through anything. Oh, my goodness, you hurt a knee. I'd be that parent. <gasps> You know, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, (laughs) and uh, being able just to love them and let them fuck up, make their own mistakes and just learn. And I know that's part of with all the protesting, especially our neighbors in the States, um, in Turkey with some of the really extreme stuff with women. Um, So with trans, with women, just people in general. And I'll be honest, just even with, I think with, um, Uh, with people who identify as a white male. Um, I think it's a really tough time because it's almost like constantly apologizing for privilege where it's, it's just like, where's my place in the world? Because anytime somebody opens their mouth, depending on where people are at, um, sometimes people are like, that's great. You're on our side. Cool. Um, And it reminds me a little bit of the whole Nelson Mandela speech that Marianne Williamson wrote where it's like who are we to be gorgeous talented fabulous and wonderful who are we not to be by letting our own light shine we inspire others to the same and when we're asking people with their you know and where it's one thing to acknowledge privilege it's where you I think it's important to be able to have those conversations as to how do we use our privilege by listening to the groups which we're in a listening space right now how to start to shift things by listening and having those conversations. But I really believe the next step and before we end up with civil war in the States, which freaks me out sometimes more than um, Corona, to be very honest. um, I just think that we need to be able to find some stuff to address the trauma so that people can start doing the healing work and being able to move forward. But I think it's also we need to be able to figure out in terms of where everybody fits. And I think just like a big jigsaw puzzle right now, nobody really knows. And uh, the world's kind of a little bit crumbly. So all we can do is do stuff like we're doing 
like having this conversation, exactly. um, listening and seeing what we can do, which is hard because I don't know who's got the answers to it. Um, well, the, the thing, oh, and sorry, I was going to say like, the thing is, is like, it's where we're, everybody's navigating this for the first time. It's not like anyone has, has, um, experience doing this. So we're all mm. at this like base level. And so, um, it's, it's difficult. Um, I, I just wanted to bring it's so many things came to mind when you were talking, but, um, like, so I just want to, I just, I love this conversation. You're just full of so many gems and so full of wisdom constantly, um, which is incredible. It's incredible. Um, so no, I, I actually was just recently watching the Nixium documentary. Ooh. Yeah. So, and so I don't know if everyone knows what Nixium is or what it was, but it's, it kind of all falls into place into what we were just talking about in the sense about, you know, how women are perceived, how men are perceived and uh, justice being served when for many years, like women's were not being uh, heard specifically. So I haven't gotten to the end of the documentary, but I do kind of, I get a gist of it. I mean, it essentially was almost for, and excuse me if I'm butchering this, but it was almost for a lack of better terminology, like a self-help cult. I mean, that's a really condensed way of putting it. Um, But what ended up happening is all these women were essentially targeting other women because they were being led by a man, a white man, And because the women were in a sense, like had this secret sorority, so to speak, and were torturing other women, it, it wasn't, it wasn't looked at for so long as like, well, they're like, well, they, they gave permission. It was, you know, another woman doing this to another woman. How was that? Um, I don't, I don't know, Caroline, if you know anything about the whole Nixium thing, but I just, I just wanted to say like, it just, it's taken and only what was it like this year was the man at the forefront of this cult quote unquote was just um, given his sentence hmm. was like a month ago, not even. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, ta- it took that long to get there after this was going on for like 20 years. Um, so I don't know if you have anything to, to say about that. I just kind of opened a whole can of worms, but um, it's funny because um, a friend who is pretty a connector in Vancouver had actually dragged me to one of the Nexium meetings, and it was the weirdest thing because I went there. She told me it was a networking thing. It'd be really great for me for beauty night and stuff. Um, it felt cult-like, which is interesting. Um, I actually met, I think her name's Sarah Edmonds, and I could um, where she was there was very nice. Um, and they couldn't give me an explanation. It kind of reminded me, forgive me for anybody who likes landmark education, but it reminded me a little bit cult-like like that too. And I just had this overwhelming panic where I'm like, I got to get get the fuck out of here. So I said, I'm really sorry. I just don't feel comfortable here. And, uh, told my friend who brought me, um, I appreciate you thinking of me. It's just, it's just not a fit for me right now. Um, and I left. Um, Good for you. In regard- Thank you. And then later, of course, finding out all the details. It's like, whoa, that's kind of creepy and scary. Um, but what is interesting with it in regards to women perpetuating women 
And and this may be before both of your time, but do you remember the TV show The Facts of Life that yeah. um, in the eighties? Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure, um, but there was one episode, and I'd forgotten about it. My brother reminded me one time because we sometimes one of the things we love to do to d- together is um, watch old videos on YouTube of old eighties like t- you know sitcoms that we grew up watching when the babysitter was there when we were little. And yes, I am so dating myself but uh, one of the characters uh, Tootsie decided to run away um, and when she ran away she ends up befriending this other girl and you find out later that that other girl was actually a prostitute a teenage prostitute so it was interesting because I'd forgotten that the average age of entry um, to street life is actually 12 in BC it's 14 across the country but um, it was interesting because even then it wasn't the guy the pimp that was recruiting it was the girl and there's a lot of that I've seen that a lot throughout the downtown east side too where you'll get women pimping other women Um, and I also do see sometimes if trauma is in a dress because there's a lot of really cool programs where it's like that's give somebody skill set and that's help them get a job. They can help, you know, start working at certain programs. Well, if that trauma is in a dress and somebody has only seen power as a way to kind of push somebody, that piece needs to be healed first and foremost. Otherwise, it's just going to repeat the, the cycle. Like, I mean, and I know we've been talking about with Nexium, the, the gender piece, but even if you look at like countries like, say, uh, South Africa, where at one point when, you know, where it's, it, you know, with the power where it was white, black, um, and then when somebody gets power, just oppressing everybody else because they're angry and it was like well when you had power this is what you did to me mm-hmm. and I've seen that at beauty night when we've gotten small grants to hire somebody within community so it's one of those whenever we've been able to do it and a lot of times we run on 45,000 a year so don't have a lot of money to to pay people um yeah I used to joke about it, it was one of the reasons in addition to the fact I love teaching yoga but I made $1,600 a month for Beauty Night, and since COVID, I haven't made anything um, mm-hmm. at all. So with that, um, we put some money aside to be able to give honorariums for some of the women who became volunteers and would talk to the, our community partners about seeing if there's opportunities um, as an outreach worker, etc. Mm-hmm. But would try our best just to offer that mentorship because if that piece for the trauma isn't healed, those patterns and we see it in the boardrooms um, mm-hmm. etc which is why there are some really great organizations doing some good work and I know I'm going to um, loop back uh, Rachel you'd mentioned about just so many businesses uh, during COVID that have closed down well um, there's some really great organizations as well like Forum for Women Entrepreneurs which I swear saved my sanity and uh, and this is a shout out to them is that again say it again well- Put it in the show notes too, but. Oh, it's uh, called the FWE. It's the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. Okay. And Paulina Cameron, I know her just from doing speeches a lot originally uh, because of Beauty Night because we'd sometimes be on the same uh, speaker circuits and things. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were great. They put out this free course called the Five Day Resilience, um, Five Days of Resilience. And it was one of the best things I've ever done. It was a podcast where they'd have somebody like, say, Judy Brooks, who was um, 
she and her daughter Devin, um, as I think Devin's grade 10 project, um, actually created the blow bars. You know, the, mm-hmm. we can go in and for like, I think it was mm-hmm. like $30 at the time mm-hmm. and $30, 30 minutes was their mm-hmm. catchphrase and get a blow with your hair. That's right. Um, yeah. So they had her on there. They had uh, Chantelle Chapman, who I'm taking her course now called The Trauma of Money, uh, where she looked at financial literacy, but through a trauma-informed lens. And, you know, it was really lovely. So there'd be a, a podcast that you listen to. Uh, they'd have a whole thick uh, packet of notes um, in terms of where you were writing your own notes. So it was neat because... Uh, the first time I did it, I listened because the interview is really great, but then realized I didn't learn the business pieces because I was mm-hmm. listening to it and really enjoying. Um, so I had to go back and actually listen. After that, I stopped and started them. And then what they did was at lunchtime, they had um, on Zoom where people could be on there um, and they could talk about their what they call their ask and their give and they put it in small breakout rooms and also um, could discuss some of the things they saw that day. It was really cool because it made me feel not isolated anymore. It gave me hope. I got to see what other people were doing their businesses. We had already applied for Vancouver Foundation for some funding to transition Beauty Night online, but my board and I were and behind the scenes were not sure, are we going to be wrapping this charity up? We've been doing it for 19 and a half years. You know, I really don't want to, which part of it was ego, I'll be honest. Uh, and because uh, 20 sounds so much nicer than 19.5. And, uh, but also just um, it was killing me just seeing how many organizations have shut down. Mm-hmm. And the whole charitable sector has been another, like in addition to our fitness and yoga world, that's been another one that's been just slammed. Um, mm-hmm. Where either A, at the beginning, thank you to Red Cross, now there's the PPE available, but there wasn't like gloves, there wasn't masks, there was nothing available. So people weren't able to do things like even soup kitchens where people would sometimes connect. And I've seen so much laughter as well as fights over food before. But um, there's been some really tremendously beautiful moments um, over that stuff where people do bond over food. And all of a sudden they're having to be there and just pick it up and go to a tent city, even though city did their best you know, doing things like buying the Howard Johnson so they could find some housing. Uh, Some people, based on the housing, they don't want to be housed. It can be really scary because if you're, you know, you get housed and it always reminds me of having roommates where uh, you don't know until you move in with somebody what somebody's like. Um, And that goes with partners too, as we all know. Like, it's just you don't know what somebody's like until you actually live with them. And with some of them, some of the spaces like the especially first stage housing you've got like a five by ten room and you may have a hot plate a lot of times you don't you may have like uh you know where you can go grab a meal behind you know or the staff will bring it up depending on what they've done for covid but the bathroom's at the end of the hall and if you're on a floor where say it's a bigger building like 10 floors of housing And uh, you've got somebody who is dealing with schizophrenia, who's not taking their meds, who is freaking out. And you combine that with um, they're going through withdrawal or cocaine psychoses. And you've got a small kid that's screaming and freaking that neighbor out. Mm -hmm. And you're just trying to soothe and take care of your kid. It's a really scary space. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's just, I think with the housing piece, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, 
doesn't always get addressed because, you know, with the housing first, there's a lot of questions like what's the best fit for somebody. Uh, when people get together, when we haven't dealt with that trauma, it's people do oppress other people sometimes because mm -hmm. they don't mean to. It's just what they know, just like anything else. Right. And so when we look at that as a world thing, not just a small housing project in the east side, it's um, going full circle in bigger things where there's like billions of dollars like an organization like Nexium or our neighbors in the south with the states, which do, they do freak me out and I won't lie. I'm, you know, as much as I love my, my neighbors, I I am glad that the borders are closed right now. Me too. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they better stay closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm wondering. <laughs> Sorry. I have <laughs> Apologize. Laughing is good. <laughs> I wonder has. Fucking borders. Fucking. <laughs> Oh man. Um, um, has COVID has COVID been really extreme in the downtown East side? Like, see, I haven't, I haven't been paying attention. Like has it's it been a lot. It's been, well, cause even because Caroline can give a much more informed answer, but as you know, I work at a, in a business that is located in the downtown East side um, on the border of it. So I've been able to see little snippets and little tasters of that as I've had to interact with patrons of that community. And they're just living there, trying to live the best life that they can live. Well, However, it's been, yeah, it's been, I've been traumatized a couple of times and it wasn't even that bad whatsoever, but enough for me to have my nervous Jen. system go up enough where I'm like, I don't really feel safe, mm -hmm. nor do I feel equipped to handle the unpredictability measures of the people that actually need, you know, true unconditional love that I'm not in the scope of my own humanity or practice to provide that. And then I have to also protect and be aware of my own health and safety, as well as those that might be in the same space of the environment that I'm with in the same place, including the potential people that are coming into the business to um, uh, to interact with the products that we are providing them to benefit their wealth and their their lifestyle. Well, and the and the thing is too, like I wonder because you know, like I just saw there was a massive anti-mask anti-mask. Uh, rally or something like oh that. Oh my God. Some of the uh, footage of that. And yeah, and I, I know I got to take a big deep breath with that too, but you see. And, and the anti-Semitism that's connected to that too, if you've read what? that. Okay. So, okay, hold on, hold on. We'll talk about that in a second. Cause I actually didn't know that. No, I, neither did I. I'm, I'm so very, sorry. Yeah. I, I'm super, I mean, a lot of people are very sensitive. I'm very sensitive to the news and I try, like I, I, I listen and try to follow just the things that I think are important, but sometimes I just can't even go there anymore. It's just too. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess my observation would be that uh, people living on the downtown East side, that I would assume that most of them are not wearing masks and they don't have the access maybe to them. Again, this is just an assumption. I'm not sure, but I just wonder what the, the prevalence of COVID in those communities, like, is it, I'm assuming would be much higher than in areas where people are wearing masks. Caroline, do you know anything about any statistics or I'm just curious. I know the Thai, um, they had put, produced an article saying that the numbers were really high, 
but I haven't seen that anywhere else. Um, I know certain incidences because organizations will let us know if if uh, somebody has COVID in their building. And I know Salvation Army, Union Gospel, both experienced. But the other challenge, too, is sometimes if somebody doesn't know where their next meal is going to be, where they're going to sleep that night, uh, they're not going to go in for COVID testing. And I know I did see an article, so I didn't see this firsthand. I read about it. Um, there was a gentleman for BC Disease Control um, where he was really strongly recommending, and I support this initiative, uh, to have a mobile uh, COVID testing and actually going to places like Strathcona Park, going to Maine and Hastings, going to Pigeon Park, and being able to bring the testing to them. I used to be part of um, this really neat festival called the Alley Health Fair, which was originally founded by some of the street nurses in the downtown east side who used to have the mobile access van, which I loved, where they'd come out. Um, back in that day, it was trying to get uh, some of our survival sex trade workers. Um, and when I say survival sex trade, um, those are the, some of the women who, believe it or not, I've been doing Beauty Night for 20 years, still uh, sometimes charge five bucks for a blowjob. Um, and if there's a heroin you know, addiction of, say, $500 a day, which I don't know what heroin is now, but um, it's, that's a lot of stuff to have to do to actually just meet a basic need. Um, and so with that, they used to have that van that used to come around. Um, they had an increase of syphilis back at that stage. So they were trying to get people in. I loved it because if I ever had volunteers who hadn't had their hep A and B shots, because of course, uh, back then, um, a lot of the street drugs were different. Um, the uh, cocktails, I call them cocktails, just some of the um, drugs for managing um, hepatitis C and HIV and AIDS were very different. And because of the addiction piece with the sharing needles, etc. Uh, so they've been doing a lot of harm reduction work. But um, the other thing they used to do is try and encourage everybody, both the women as well as volunteers, anybody working in that area to get their hep A and B shots. Because if I got hep A, I'd get very sick, but I wouldn't necessarily die from it. Um, whereas if I gave it to somebody who did not have, was not diagnosed with uh, hep C or hep A with a pre-existing condition of some sort, I could kill them. So with that, they used to go around and do all sorts of lovely stuff like that. Mm. Um, and we partnered with them for Beauty Night, doing things like uh, Pap Smear Nights. Um, yeah, you know, Papalooza, Pap Awareness, you know, where Cartem's Donuts actually did donate donuts. Because um, a donut, your cervix and your prostate, same shape as a donut. Um, um, so it was decorate your own cervix. Um, nice. And yes, I've been very cheesy with programming at times, but it I makes me I love that. Laugh. I love Cartems. Shout out to Cartems. Thank you. <laughs> totally. Sponsor um, but, us. <laughs> um, but they've been really terrific. Um, but uh, a few years ago, they actually stopped. Um, like, I don't know where the funding cut, whether it was provincial or civic, um, for that street van that used to come around and offer things. And mm. so it was only during events like if Beauty Night called them out where they'd we'd be able to get a nurse out to do pap tests or for the Alley Health Fair where once a year, you know, you'd have like, 
um, like 50 organizations, you know, in that um, alley right behind Maine and Hastings and getting a city permit to kind of loop around that block from Maine, uh, Maine and Hastings all the way down to Columbia and around the corner at Columbia, yeah. being able to have all sorts of staff music, trying to get them to tap into their own health. And I know in the past we've had where there are the HIV tests that you could do. This is more recent. Um, where it's literally where they can tell if you need to go and get a more intense test. And with COVID, I haven't had a test personally, so I don't know. But I do know that bringing the uh, testing available to them yeah. is very helpful. Uh, that said, depending on how they're measuring, like how many people are testing, and it would probably cost them a lot because I do know from Beauty Night that there are times where um, when we used to do beauty night four nights a week, uh, where you get the same person, they just had a haircut the day before. Um, there's the mental health piece where when we see an aesthetic change in ourselves, we start to believe other types of change are possible. Um, and with that, they come in and they're like, but I need my haircut. And I'm like, you just got your haircut yesterday. You don't need it. And it looks terrific. Um, and there, there's sometimes that disconnect. So I could see where somebody could get, obsessive where it's like I need to get four COVID tests in a day kind of thing mm -hmm. oh I see there's that possibility but there's also the possibility of bringing it to somebody who may not have gone to go and get tested and because COVID's such a weird disease from what we know unfortunately I do know quite a few people who have it right now um, one of um, my really dear friends who's been a longtime volunteer his sister his mom and dad have it his mom's been hospitalized one of my boyfriend's best friends has it. Um, my boyfriend's had two people at work who have it, one who actually did die, and uh, one who was um, about 25 who barely noticed the symptoms and only got tested because of the notifications where a restaurant he had gone to had said, hey, and the, it was thanks to the contact tracing that he was able to find out where for that person, the only thing they noticed was just uh, not as much taste or smell, but didn't have any cold symptoms or anything. Wow. So there are people who are super spreaders around. And so it makes it scary for that. Whereas other people like my own family doctor, Dr. Phillips, um, and I'm not breaking confidentiality. He's been on the news and everything. He and his partner had just gotten back from a trip in the States uh, he was diagnosed. Thankfully, his partner did not get it. And he's actually had to be in the hospital on the ventilator. I believe he's about my age. So he's about 49, 50. Um, he has not been able to return to practice. And the joke about it was, it took me 10 years to find a freaking family doctor. And, you know, it just, you know, the poor man, you know, he's dedicated his life. Um, and, you know, he's got, um, and I don't know his personal symptoms because I haven't spoken to him for a very long time, but, um, yeah, he's not sure if he's coming back to practice or not at this stage wow. because he's still recovering. And he was one of the ones who got it in March, April. Um, I've got a couple friends who had to retire from teaching at uh, Douglas college because of COVID. Uh, one of them mentioned, and I won't mention names and out just because of confidentiality that yeah. her and her partner they both came down with it um she said her lung capacity is about one-eighth of what it is uh she is an older woman she's um in her in her early 60s but um it really does affect um kev's my my partner his his friend who's got it um 
Yeah, he's about my age too. Like I'd say probably about 48. He's had it for four weeks and uh, just is so weak where even just getting up to go, go to the bathroom is hard. You know, it's so like, it's such a weird, it, it's so weird because I, I don't, I feel like they don't even know why still it's yeah. affecting people in different ways. Like there's not really, I mean, I think that they definitely those with pre-existing conditions, I guess are, are being hit harder. But I mean, even in that sense, I don't even know, you know, it's very, it's so weird. Um, I think with the pre-existing conditions, because let's be honest, how many of us actually go to the doctor every year and get a complete physical, like not just, Oh, do you? Okay, cool. <laughs> most people like, most people don't. And I'm, I'm definitely like a very, I, I actually have chronic health anxiety. So I, do those things out of because I'm an extremely anxious person about my health. And so that's not a, that's not a, <laughs> a normal thing. What you're saying is totally correct. Like I, I wish I pray one day that there is something that's available for everyone where it's like a full body scan and they can just mm. hear and have like a full range of blood tests, a body scan. And then, okay. Like imagine how many things we'd be able to uh, prevent prevent, and all those things. Um, but just I, like, I don't know how much time you have Caroline, but we're, I can't believe we're already coming up to 10, 10 AM, but, um, I just want to go back for a second to the, the anti mask protests because hero mentioned something that I did not know about. And mm -hmm. I do just want to, I mean, it's not a positive thing to acknowledge, but I don't know anything about this anti-Semitic. I don't know what happened during this protest, but yeah well first and foremost people i always joke around but it's true like i i hate reading and i don't like reading and therefore i don't really read unless if it's through the lens of some social media platforms that are easy to scroll through which instagram has become like most people my actual newspaper my newsfeed. um but also on my phone i'll get additional headlines and stuff that just pop up randomly. And I think because on phones now, you have to accept consent to receive notifications from the websites you go to. So when you hit accept, then you can get texts from like news providers or product websites. And though your phone will get pinged with those headlines of uh, promotions on sale and headlines for current events that are happening. So when I was looking at actually, no, you know, it was actually the Georgia Strait. Um, because when they do their Instagram stories, they'll actually say like what the top headlines of the day are and you can swipe up to read those headlines. So that's where I saw it flash up. And so, of course, I was working and I wasn't in the vicinity of where the protest was happening. But when I got home from work that night and I looked at the article, it was actually another fringe like anti-mask um, anti um, parade protest of about, was it I want to say 50 people or 500 people. That's a huge difference, but I, I want to say 500 people. I think, yeah, 500 people that were going down West Georgia street um, in downtown Vancouver um, near Robson square. And I don't know what their route was. I would assume it was probably from like, you know, the central library going down Georgia toward like the West end. That's kind of a typical route that people take. And, um, you know, VPD were there, didn't do anything about it. They were just making sure that 
people were, you know, not getting anything out of the ordinary from protesting. And there was a lot of links that they're seeing in addition to the recent um, individual that was fired um, immediately from singing the national anthem for the Vancouver Canucks because they found out that he was actually um, an anti-Semite. And, uh, and also, I believe, and also realized that it was linked to also being an anti-masker and an anti-coronavirus individual as well. And so it seems that there is a large population of these anti-maskers that are also so radical and anarchist that they also have the same belief that Hitler didn't do anything wrong or that the Holocaust never happened or that Hitler wasn't a bad person or anything like that. And there was a whole blurb about this person quoting, you know, have you even read Mein Kampf? Have you even read the the text in this? Like Hitler had no bad intention with anything at all. So that's on probably many newscasts and stuff, but I read that on the Georgia Strait. So if you want to ref- look at what I'm referring to, you can I want on your own time. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Because that's an intro, that's a very, um, big statement of the correlation between anti-maskers and mm-hmm. potentially anti-Semites. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a, mm-hmm. that's a huge, it's huge. And it's a specific group of people, not everybody that thinks that coronavirus is not a reality or that it's being dramatized, but this small group of people that were protesting, I want to emphasize on that. They were saying that a large amount of those people have a link in belief or lack thereof when it comes to what happened in our past and how that links to, it might be more than just the Holocaust too, but that's what they actually made a reference to was the Holocaust and people making references to that and to Germany. Plus, a lot of people were actually parading with um, pro-Trump um, signage and flags and stuff, even though he legitimately has been officially actually quote lost the election and that there was no fault in any kind of counting of votes. And this just happened on the weekend. Well, and you know, you know what I think is, is happening here is because a lot of these, a lot of these people are, are, um, conspiracy theorists, like they're a yes. nation of that as well. So, um, disbelievers and, and those that, yeah, I mean, so that, that all kind of goes hand in hand. See, I can be political sometimes. <laughs> you can read sometimes. <laughs> when it's relevant. <laughs> um, I'd love to read more about it. I have, and just in regards to the States, um, I didn't know about the anti-Semite piece. Um, I did know about just some of the anti BLM, uh, because there's the organization BLM, and then there's the actual movement, which are two very distinctly different things. Mm-hmm. The organization, if you actually read their mandate and things, it actually is a little bit more, and I wish I had it in front of me right now, so I'm going to apologize, but um, it tends to be, um, yeah, just, um, I, I'll be very honest, I, it doesn't align with my values. Um, I do believe that everybody deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. I do believe in equality. Um, but I also, when I look at our neighbors in the States, which is why I think we need to address the trauma, I think when I see people going from state to state, looting, uh, destroying people's businesses, which are already suffering because of corona, because they're doing it out of respect for people of color and stuff like that. I question sometimes where I'm just like, really, how does that actually help the people of color? Where it's just like, if you really want to help, that's actually try and 
work towards encouraging like more employment opportunities. Let's do what we're doing in Canada, which is providing more education opportunities, being able to do things like um, having more business grants for people of color and indigenous, um, you know, just making sure that there is more and giving a hand up as opposed to, you know, and it's like, and it's a delicate one as I'm saying this out loud and we're being recorded because um, <laughs> there's the there's so much rage out there, but that rage needs to be healed. And I get mm-hmm. that we have to hear it, but I, I won't lie if I was, and maybe there's a little bit of capitalist in me uh, when I think about like say the condo owners in Seattle where their places are being absolutely destroyed by the protesters. Um, there's the increase of, uh, of um you know, just crime because of the fact they defunded the police uh, without actually having a conversation where, um, and I know we've had some discussions about that here, and I've, I really feel that what really needs to happen is more of a conversation about that, more support for the community mental health piece, yeah. and having that work in conjunction with the police because the police are already overtaxed. And sometimes when you see the videos where they post like, oh, police brutality, it's some of them are legit and there are some bad apples. There's going to be bad apples in every everything. I mean, even our yoga, you know, as much as we love peace and all that stuff, let's be honest, there's <laughs> there's there's creepy people in our practitioner too, our, mm-hmm. our practice. There's, there's going to be in everything. And just because there's a few bad apples doesn't mean that everybody is bad and there isn't need for order there isn't need for rules so then that way as when we are in society that we respect and i get that society is changing and voices need to be heard but i also think like destroying people's properties uh, assaulting them coming up if they're eating in a restaurant and yelling at them um, because of of that kind of stuff is mm-hmm. um, healthy um, i do think in regards to the whole trump thing it's ruled by fear And there's so much fear in this world right now. Mm -hmm. And when I think back to like the Second World War, uh, the First World War, like Hitler got into power because of brutality where it was protesters, where, you know, the brown shirts where they beat the shit out of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it made it unfair. So people who were like, say, the Social Democrats, etc., and the Communist Party to actually run. um, And then there was a Catholic Party as well. If I remember correctly from my history um, and with that it started off where it was just the brutality where they were horrible um, they were horrific to the LBGTQ community as well that was the first that got attacked yeah. um, and then after that um, yeah just the anti-Semite stuff they started after but it yeah. originally started with um, LGBTQ that was just horrific time Um, But it was very easy for them to get into power because, again, it comes down to where there was the fear after uh, the First World War. Um, And unfairly, the uh, world blamed them for starting the First World War where it wasn't Germany's fault. Um, You know, the Archduke in in Austria got shot and this whole thing started a huge thing all around the world. Um, And with that... They got blamed, and because everybody was angry about it, they made them pay reparations, which created a huge um, a community of shame, stigma, uh, extreme poverty. And when people mm-hmm. extreme poverty and they become oppressed, they get angry. And so it's ripe for people like, I mean, the fact that John, Donald Trump got in the first time 
and the fact that I don't really see this as a win for our, our, the American election because it was such a close vote that exactly. there, there's uh, people who believe, like really do believe in that. And it's because of the fear. And I mm-hmm. see the, I do see part of it because of the fact he's ruling with fear because of all the protests and they're not peaceful protests. They're not nice. Um, there's so much rage and anger. And even if you look at the, I think his name's Kyle Rideout, the uh, young 17 year old boy, which Ricky Schroeder from Silver Spoons actually paid the money to get the kid out in bail. He ended up um, killing two people um, at, um, at one of the big protest things, but they were also there trying to attack um, his, his family business. And so he was there. They were, if you look at the video before he killed them, they're beating the crap out of this poor 17 year olds and they were grown people doing it. So I have mixed feelings about it where I honestly hope they do based on, and again, I am not a crime expert or anything. I'm just somebody in the, in the community, but I do believe like there are two sides to everything. Mm -hmm. And with that, that they, Unfortunately, um, if we don't address trauma in our community, that this stuff's going to just get worse. There's just so much hate and animosity, mm-hmm. um, and we're ripe for somebody like a Trump. Um, we're yeah. ripe for, you know, we don't have a Stockwell Day running anymore in Canada, thank God, but, you know, we're ripe for that kind of stuff. Even if you look at, in Quebec, the fact that that almost like just almost more militant party, which I cannot remember their name, just won a lot of the seats in that province where there's a lot of anger. Quebec's another one even within us where sometimes they, um, I know from my friends who live there that uh, are not just French speaking, just like where that's their first language, where they feel judged. There's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of hate crime on a lot of Chinese people there right now too. Mm. It's uh, a lot of horrible stuff going on in the world because of that mm-hmm. and it does concern me if we don't deal with the trauma we don't talk about it we don't provide those tools we don't provide those hands up but it needs to be done with with the tools so it's not like where we're say with truth and reconciliation where we're giving monies out because of that's part of it but the other piece is how do we give the tools so that that mm-hmm. that money is used for good and it's used to heal the community so that we can nourish and honor. And again, I am not Indigenous. I'm just a um, huge supporter of. And um, it makes me angry. Um, These are with- such huge conversations. And and I just because you, you've probably said it like a million times during our talk, mm. the word trauma, like trauma, trauma is such a, a key to all of this really mm-hmm. and healing that. And, and I've said this a million times in our podcast interviews, what I'm about to say is next week we're actually speak and Caroline, you, you might not know this, but we're actually speaking mm-hmm. to more specifically a generational trauma uh, specialist um, who is uh, going to be calling in from New York, actually from nice. the Mount Sinai uh, hospital there who, wow. Uh, so Dr. Yehuda has been at the forefront of like some pretty massive generational trauma studies, specifically with Holocaust survivor, um, well, offspring and those kinds of things and how that's affected people. But just our whole conversation about like, you know, World War One, World War Two, all the 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 trauma and the the things that have seeped into our DNA, really, mm-hmm. not even about like 
like our lifetime that we've lived through and the trauma that we've been through. Like what it's about what our- we've inherited? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that, that piece of it is, I don't know. I feel like it hasn't really been addressed enough. Um, no. Yeah. And I'm, I give you kudos for, for having him on. It, it's him. Her. Her. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Her on uh, next week. Um, and I think that's such an important conversation to be had. I just did um, a workshop just in regards to colonization. And it was interesting because for the icebreaker, what they did was um, you had to talk about how your grandmothers on both sides came to Canada. And it was funny because I realized that whenever I've talked about my the journey, it's always been from my great-grandfather, my grandfather on, on each side. And when I had to put it in that perspective, it really shifted some stuff and created some healing. So we went through that as the icebreaker before we went through from the 1600s, just the history of colonization in Canada. Um, and I know this, we're just one country in the world, but it was really fascinating. And the other day, um, I was having a great conversation with my cousin, who um, does a beautiful program called Art Hub, where it's working with at-risk youth. Um, and she's doing this really cool project where she's having them actually make skateboards um, mm-hmm. as art therapy, because she's an art therapist. But um, her mother is unfortunately um, dying right now of COVID at, at the care home she's at, my aunt. And one of the things we talked about was the fact with all the craziness, my dad, her mom, which they're siblings, um, just the, yeah, that inherited trauma and the fact that, you know, when I thought about that exercise, like my grandmother was one of, you know, a gazillion kids and I don't even know her history. Um, she's basically abandoned by her mother because I had too many children and sent to go live with her older sister, came over to Canada at 16 from Scotland because of the fact there was no opportunities there. Uh, ended up meeting my grandfather who came over with his brothers from Nairn to Seattle, snuck over the border, even though he was underage to play because he really wanted to fight in this first world war, uh, ended up getting pneumonia when he was in training camp in Montreal or Quebec and uh, they met, which I always thought was such a cute story, because uh, he was stealing food in the canteen, and she went and told him off. And it's it sounds so sweet and cute, but in reality, they were hungry. It was a really shitty time. And uh, then after that, they got married and ended up settling in Vancouver, and uh, you know, lived through 1918 <laughs> with the Spanish flu. Uh, yeah, lived through you know, just all the impoverty. Cause when my dad was dealing with dementia, that kept coming up where he kept believing he didn't have money and, um, was actually lost 30 pounds. My dad was five, seven. And this was like where he believed he didn't, couldn't afford to eat. Wow. So is that piece. Wow. I know this is a conversation we may need to continue later. Cause I just realized, um, in, in, in respect to time too, cause I, I do have to get going, but I've really enjoyed this. So thank you. Wow. Thank you, Caroline, you like, we could just talk to you for hours and hours and hours. You have so many, like, I feel like, I feel like you really enjoy um, gathering information and you, you seem to know a lot about history. Are you a, I know a fair amount? 
Um, I read a lot. I'm a geek. Um, what I do for pleasure is I usually, um, I've slowed down a bit during COVID, but usually I read 10 to 15 books every week. So it's, uh, Holy yeah, I read a I've lot. Read like, I've read like 20 books in my entire life. <laughs> Holy. No, I read a lot. Um, I go back and forth from like just popular fiction to stuff like right now I'm reading a tomb, um, which I, I've got an intellectual crush, which if you ever, ever um, have, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Um, it's called Noonday Demon. It's one of the best books out there on depression. Oh. And his his last name is Solomon. Um, he wrote this beautiful article um, called A Beautiful Mind. And it's not like the movie. It's uh, <laughs> right. uh, it, it was one of the first ones. It, it was published in Allure magazine, I believe, in 2002. And it was the first thing I read where I actually understood that I wasn't just putting makeup on people to make them feel better, where there was actually some substance and there was some science behind what I did for Beauty Night, where I finally understood I wasn't just Elle Woods trying to make the world pretty and all that stuff or Cher from Clueless. I was me. And uh, it wasn't just because of my heart. There was actually some science behind it that could back up why I was doing and why it works. It's Andrew Solomon. Yes. Yes, he did do a TED Talk as well, and when he was in Vancouver, I tried so hard to try and reach out to him on Twitter because he literally changed my life on that level because um, it's um, Hanunday Demon is like one of the big ones that they a lot of people read about depression, um, but what he wrote about com- correlating beauty and the fact that when people are dealing with depression, when you look in their eyes, either they get really skinny um or they gain weight it's one extreme or the other when they're in a when they're in clinical depression Hmm. um and i think this year one of the biggest things with covid is i think it's i really do believe it's made people respect mental health and why it's so important this year more than ever because i think even people who've never experienced anything with mental health have or seen somebody they love dealing with stuff and uh, trying to cope with uh, this crazy pandemic, which fully linking back to the word trauma. um, We're all in pandemic trauma right now. And all we can do is do what we do. I give each of you kudos for having this platform to to chat and doing all the beautiful work you're doing here, creating all those videos on your YouTube channel. So it's accessible for people. Um, I know my, my videos that I do with SFU are free for people. Um, I'm thankfully still getting paid because it's one of my one sources of income right now. And Rachel, I know you've been doing a whole bunch on YouTube as well. So just making sure that there are resources for people so that if and when they're ready to choose to access them, that they are there for mm-hmm. people. Because I think that's that's the one piece we can do is just keep having the conversations, provide the tools, encourage people so then that way when they're feeling good about themselves they start to believe that change is possible and Mm -hmm. there are tools out there that we can provide and support them so that they can find that love for themselves and when they are able to fill up their cup be able to um, stand on really strong feet in mountain pose and just be there bring their arms up and warrior i call it victory pose where we've got our arms up because just like yeah i got this God, Caroline, you are an, you are a inspiration and an angel and have so much wisdom that we could talk to you for hours, as Rachel mentioned. So hopefully we can have you back on a future episode. Yes. Okay, so we'll, we'll set that up and follow up with you shortly then so we can get you locked in. 
But on a note that is uh, synonymous with our podcast, we always like to ask our guests that if they were a fruit juice, what fruit, what would they be and why? Hmm. <laughs> I would be a, it's funny because I don't like tomatoes, but I would be a tomato juice because tomato could be either fruit or vegetable. Um, and I would be that with a dash of, um, I'd be a Caesar because I'm spicy and a little bit of sweet in me too, but I've got bite. You just can't always see it because I'm a nice, happy, cheery red color. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, amazing. Serious, I think. We we had somebody actually choose something that could be a vegetable. Like that's exactly, that's really good. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being part of Rachel and mine's um, growing little baby and pushing us <laughs> into the 21st episode mark, which we are so ecstatic about. Hey. And um, yeah, all the best to you. And you. Hope we, we can connect uh, in person soon as we're both closer to each other in yes. Vancouver. Yes. And, and, and anyone out there that does need some of the resources that we were talking about, we definitely will make sure to put them in the show notes. So please uh, be aware of that because that's very important. Um, and again, we thank Caroline from the bottom of our hearts. And one day we will see each other in person. Yes. The <laughs> world. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great Bye. rest of your day. Bye. 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 Bye.